it all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Matt Coglin, founder and CEO of Excel Technologies. Matt is a leader with a contagious passion for great customer engagement and the economic and business impacts created when customers are engaged in exactly the right way. Prior to founding Excel, Matt had the opportunity to work with many quintessential brands, including Disney, Apple, Carnival, AT&T, GE, and Walgreens, helping them all to bring their customer experience to life. His experience in these environments led to his observation of a power law in sales. That law exists where, regardless of the brand, top-performing agents were not marginally better than their peers, they were multiples better and always delivered disproportionately successful results. Matt has a bachelor's degree in biology from Illinois State University and is married to his college sweetheart, Carrie. They have three kids, Emma, Charlie, and Henry, all of whom are top performers. Matt Coglin, welcome into the corner office. Well, Brent, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. Ah, it's wonderful to have you here. We had a great chat with you and a couple of your colleagues a few days ago, and very excited about uh, bringing you in and hearing more about your journey at uh, CEO and founding Excel Technologies. But I always like to kind of start with the early days and, and maybe not the so early days, uh, particularly with regards to the pandemic and all that's going on there. Gosh, I can't even remember how many months we've been into it now. I think it's almost coming up on a year uh, since it was announced. We we're in January and I guess March was when things really got going. How are you doing? How's your family and how's your company been faring through this uh, very interesting time? Well, I, you know, Brant, it's funny that you say that. Uh, I was talking with a colleague earlier today and I said, you know, it's almost like dog years for each <laughs> the pandemic um, and, and the amount of learning and, um, and, you know, just rethinking things. It's like seven years or seven months crazy. Of, yeah. uh, of normal business time, but we're doing well. I mean, I think, um, you know, given the, the circumstances, one of the things that I think is, is exciting is that for an entrepreneurial business, we have already been thinking about how to do things differently. Mm. And the pandemic just represented an additional chapter of that. Right, right. Well, that's terrific. And overall, business up, down, about even over the year? No, actually, we had a uh, we had a really good year in 2020. We grew the business you. by uh, you know closing in on 100, percent and um, and I think you know we're we're even better positioned in 2021. Um, and to be honest with you, Brent, it's a bit of a function of the fact that 
much of the technology that we're bringing to the marketplace um, helps facilitate and support virtual workforces. Mm, fantastic. You know, has been one of the um, one of the things that has been a requirement in the pandemic. So business in general has actually been pretty good. Um, and but uh, you know, obviously, we know that it's represented other challenges the pandemic has. But um, in general, I feel pretty bullish about where we're at. Absolutely. Well, that's so good to hear. Well, let's start with you and tell me a little bit about the early days where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, grew up on, uh, on the south side of Chicago and, uh, you know, was the youngest of seven kids. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so so um, I learned very early in life, Brent, how to take direction. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Right. And um, but, you know, I I um, I, I grew up in a great environment. I uh, my father was an entrepreneur himself, mm. and, um, and I've had some really successful siblings who have provided great mentorship over the years. But um, you know, really fortunate to have all of my siblings, uh, you know, still within a, a relatively uh, short stone's throw from from where I live today. So nice. Um, yeah, very good. Lots of nieces and nephews, and, and any grandchildren coming along as well. Well, I can tell you as, as, as it would be, you know, just in the fact that you have, uh, six siblings, you're bound to have lots of nieces and nephews. Um, you know, I'm in a spot right now where I think, um, you know, with three kids of my own, I have a 21 year old who is, uh, who's actually back at college. I have right. 18 year old who just, uh, was, you know, in his first semester at the university of Michigan and had to Mm. return home as a function of the pandemic. And then I have a, a sophomore in high school. And uh, I, I said, I'm, as the family goes, I'm, I'm one of the people with, uh, with less kids. So we have, uh, I have a sister who's got six. So you could imagine wow. there's lots, oh of, lots of kids in the family. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. And you mentioned dad was an entrepreneur. What kind of business did he run and found? Yeah. Interestingly enough, if you go back and, and, you know, a lot of the young people um, probably don't remember this, but Prior to, uh, you know, some of the changes in, in pasteurization, you used to get your milk delivered directly to your home. And, right. uh, you know, we had a uh, we had a family business that was a milk distributorship uh, here in Chicago. And, you know, I'll just give you I'll give you a visual that I think will help bring it home for you. Imagine the, the milk truck uh, driving up to your street and uh, and seven very small delivery people running out and delivering the milk back up to the doorsteps. Of people. Oh, my gosh. Right. So we had a uh, we had a really great um, we had, a, I think, a great example, because um, just even seeing my father build a you know kind of a business that was doing well, but also see the disruption that occurred when things were innovated in that industry. It really gave you a sense mm. of how important it is to be, you know, kind of thinking about what's next um, right. and what could it look like in the future. So uh, that that business was one where, um, you know, as, as I look back at it, those were very simple times. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And uh, mom had a full-time job with seven kids. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I will tell you, in addition to the seven kids, she also worked at a hospital. Uh, and, and, You're uh, kidding. Oh, and my so goodness. What, you know, I think what was great growing up is, is that you, I learned teamwork pretty early, which was the notion that everybody had to be kind of uh, kicking in and contributing in order to make everything work. Yeah. So. Yeah, full full time gig. I I look back at it with three kids. I go, how did how did it work? <laughs> how did that work? Yeah, amazing. 
Amazing. And uh, school, was uh, was that important to you? Were you a good student growing up? It, it was. You know, I, I will tell you, I was not I was not a standout student. However, um, you know, I balanced I balanced school with some jobs and, and some different things that um, that, you know, were were helping kind of uh, make options available for me. I think for me, the the uh, the school that I went to, which was really influential, I went to a um, to a high school here on the south side of Chicago, um, St. Lawrence High School, where, yeah. you know, I learned pretty early the importance of uh, of leadership and integrity and, and some of the things where um, it, it might not be specifically part of a curriculum or or outlined in a book, but certainly I found it to be pretty influential in my uh, in my career. So. I do think education has been very important to me. When I went to college, I went for biology and chemistry, which clearly as as we get through the course of today's conversation, you'll find out I'm doing nothing with that. uh, (laughs) But you learned how to study. Those those aren't easy, easy subjects to to grasp. That's right. Well, I I will tell you, I mean, um, coming out of that, that experience of going to school for biology and chemistry, what I did really grasp onto was the notion of kind of scientific scientific theory and and the ability to generate a hypothesis and and be focused on how to run right. ab tests and things like that which you know if i look back now in in hindsight i think those have been uh you know very influential in in my um in my experiences so i, I guess imagine. everything happens for a reason right that's right that's right any activities during secondary school you know music sports etc what other types of things were you involved with Absolutely. I played, I wrestled, uh, I wrestled and played football. And then, you know, when I got into college, I had, uh, I had started to play rugby and really enjoyed that and had a, uh, had a great time playing that and, and met some, um, some really great friends that I've had throughout life as part of that experience, but always have had some interest in some competitive athletics that have, you know, kind of helped keep, uh, you know, drive down the stress and, and give you a way to, to get out and stay active. So certainly. Well, we, we mentioned uh, that you were CEO and founder of your current role, XL Technologies. We'll get into that in a few minutes, but what about earlier on? Did entrepreneurialism, you know, come easy to you? Were there things that you did, you know, the ubiquitous paper route, uh, selling stuff at Christmas time? Tell us about growing up and, and being an entrepreneur, particularly with a father who also was an entrepreneur. Absolutely. I, you know, when, when I look back at it, I think, you know, there, there was certainly always an itch. Um, very early, interestingly enough, I, I not only had paper routes, but if I think back about um, some of the experiences, one that, uh, that stands out is, you know, when you're, when you're a, uh, a kid playing Little League here in the Midwest, mm. what is a normal ritual is you will be handed uh, either candy or or something that you have to go sell as a fundraising effort right. or a lead. And uh, it, I, I remember one story, Brent, where my uh, my neighbor, who is a, a lifelong friend, his father would take us to practice and pick us up as, as a carpool. And um, on the day that, uh, that we got handed the candy, I just looked around and I thought, okay, I've done this one other time. And the experience when I did that is many of the people would say, I already bought it from right. right? Another child. And so the day we got handed the candy, uh, we literally, uh, you know, I talked to my friend and we literally turned to his father and said, we're going to walk home. And (laughs) by the time we got home, we had sold all of the candy 
Awesome. That's simply because we had gotten to the people before anyone else. Right. And, and in a new neighborhood as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. I love and it. So, That's great. You know, that was, I, you know, I, I say it was a fundraising effort, but I will tell you, it, it was probably my earliest endeavor into, um, into an entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, and then, you know, but as I, as I mentioned to you, I went to school for biology and chemistry. And when I came out, um, I was really thinking about um, taking some time to prepare for the MCAT. And uh, to be honest with you, what I... So, so your plans were to go to med school? Yes, that's exactly yeah. right. I, wow. I'd actually planned very specifically to be a podiatrist. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I took that summer off and a family friend had actually had a, um, an opportunity that was open. And I really just thought that this would be kind of a summer gig. But I started to sell software um, at this at this other entrepreneurial business. And I think it just was one of those scenarios where um, the light bulb went off and I just started to develop a passion for the notion of helping people improve their outcomes, helping people improve their their ability to grow or or um, or improve their business. And so, you know, there, I always say, you know, even as I was thinking about a family friend of ours who was concerned about not knowing exactly what he wanted to do going into college, I said, you know, the first thing that you have to do is just build the discipline and rigor about completing things right, right. through right. something. But make no mistake, it's been my experience that um, as you start to engage and get involved in things, you, your passions will emerge, right? You will find things that you become really excited about. And that was my experience. Yeah. So you went into sales, right? S straight out of college. And, and was it with a software company? I think Keywell Solutions, am I pronouncing that correctly? That's right. Well, originally it was called Evcore um, and, and Keywell acquired Evcore. So okay. I was part of the Evcore team that got acquired by Keywell, which was a publicly traded company on the London Stock Exchange. But to be clear, we were a very scrappy entrepreneurial business that mm. had uh, that had really gone out. And, and this was the kind of the early days of supply chain and logistics where, um, you know, where you would walk in and still find some pretty antiquated practices and in play inside of a warehouse. And we were bringing, you know, a combination of, uh, you know, kind of in motion automation where we could do inventory tracking and shipping and, and all of these things. That so, so it was a, it was a software program. That's right. Yeah. I, I, on a hard disk, I imagine back then. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I, I try to explain that <laughs> for, to my kids. We, you know, we should probably you know. explain that to some of our younger audiences. Software <laughs> didn't always used to be online. In fact, online didn't exist. That's until exactly about right. The year That's 2000. Exactly right. So it was a, it was a, it was a prepackaged, uh, mostly B2B software program then, or it was, was it? It was, uh -huh. it was almost exclusively B2B. So what uh -huh. we were doing is we were helping, uh, we were helping businesses that were, you know, kind of in that pick, pack and ship mode from a delivery yeah. perspective, we were helping them really automate and improve that entire process. Wow. Wow. And did you get into sales management there or pretty much carry a bag during your time there? I know you left as a vice president, if I'm not mistaken. I did. Yeah. I mean, I, I will tell you, I mean, that was the, that was probably the first spot where I started to identify what what later in, in life would become the reason why I started this business. Mm. But um, I started to really just uh, dig in and understand the space very well. And so from a sales perspective, uh, I was an outlier. I was generating, even as a, as a 22 year old kid, I was generating an awful lot of sales. 
And, um, and that led to, you know, opportunities of increasing responsibility and being able to work with other people and, and take on uh, emerging parts of the business. And so, you know, to me, as I looked at it, that was the first time, Brant, where I really became very familiar with the notion that um, there is a significant difference between top performers um, and the rest of the workforce. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was something that I think I just kind of carried forward with me and, and it helped inform uh, the business that I'm in now. Yeah. So so um, how long were you working at that job before you first started managing people? I was there probably, um, I want to say something like in between months 24 and 36. Wow, so pretty early on. Years yeah. two and three, yeah. having responsibility for working with people and and uh, and helping them improve their outcomes and, and generate more success. Now, you know, if you think back to where I'm talking about, um, that was an emerging space. Software. Yeah, it was the mid-90s, right? I mean, this space. was very, yeah, yeah. Very early on. Yeah. So the one thing I didn't have to do was break through what might have been a more mature, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of more, um, you know, what I'll call um, settled environment. Right. This was an environment where um, the people that were that were able to grasp and understand the value proposition, the use cases um, were in a were in a really great position. Yeah. Were you manage people about your same age, younger, older, combination of both? Yeah, a combination of both. I mean, yeah. there were there were instances where some of the people were twice my age and and uh-huh. you know that represented uh, an opportunity for me to grow in terms of understanding how to uh, how to really gain influence with people uh, as much as manage them, right? And yeah. so yeah. I always think about so much of management is really just your ability to gain influence and and get people aligned. And that was kind of the earliest, uh, earliest opportunity for me to do that. Did you have some good mentors and, and bosses during that period of time that, uh, you know, c- kind of helped you lead the way in terms of learning how to manage, particularly salespeople, which is, you know, a unique experience, right? <laughs> Not That's always right. the easiest job in the world. Well, I did. You know, interestingly enough, many of my mentors uh, early on were not necessarily in the business. I had right. I had an older sister who, um, if you just think of that, uh, of the two bookends, I was the youngest, she was the oldest. And at the time, um, she was at what was then called Anderson Consulting. And, oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really rising through the ranks. She subsequently went on to be one of the chief execs of one of the uh, um, business units at Accenture and the chief strategy officer. But um, she and I would just, you know, kind of routinely um, talk as you as you might think on Saturdays about, you know, what are the things that that I might think about or do differently, um, how I might approach things, and that wow. was that was really influential. And in how cool opinion. is that? What was the age gap between the two of you? Twelve years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So another generation almost. Huh? That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Terrific. And um, in those early days, uh, you know, you obviously advanced through the levels. What, what kind of made you decide to, to move on? You were there seven, almost eight years, I guess, during that period of time and, you know, went on to other sales jobs. Was it the opportunity? Was it, you know, wanting to expand your horizons? What, what kind of motivated you around, you know, your next step? Yeah. You know, I think for me at that point in time, it was just really around seeing the market dynamics changing and seeing opportunities Mm. in in aligned verticals, but not necessarily the exact one I was in. And so I just saw that there was uh, there were other emerging areas where my uh, my skill set, if you would, or or my domain would be applicable 
but that space would be one that I could be successful in. Yeah. And you've pretty much been in, in, uh, software your entire career, right? Or, or did you take any, you know, uh, uh, you know, rabbit trails that might've led you away and led you back to where you are today? No, I, I would tell you, I spent the mo- the majority of my career in software, except for prior to, um, prior to Excel, I worked with a private equity firm and, where I was number two in one of the operating companies. Okay. And that business was more of what I would call a tech enabled services business. Um, uh-huh. So just imagine, you know, a 28,000 person at home workforce that would be taking, um, you know, calls and contacts on behalf of large enterprises. And um, and so I helped build that company and, wow. and really take an awful lot of pride in that. But I had helped build that company uh, to one that was really um, a, a pioneer in kind of that virtualization and virtual workforce. But that was it was obviously enabled by technology, but it was really truly a services business. That was Arise, right? Arise Virtual yeah, Solutions. That's right. Yeah. yeah, cool. And from there, you actually went on to found Excel. Tell us a little bit about that, how you kind of came to the, you know, realization that, you know, you had been working for folks for, gosh, about 15 years or so, almost a little bit shy of that, and then decided to go off on your own. What were some of the motivations behind your um, willingness to take the risk and uh, and obviously the success that you found from that? Yeah, I, I, I'll say, you know, if I think back about it, um, Brent, one of the one of the really great pieces and, and sage pieces of advice that I'd gotten from my sister was to really think about each, you know, kind of each period of your career as a chapter in mm. that you're writing, right? And yeah. And what specifically do you want the chapter to be about? And I think most of the chapters prior to this were were actually really in service of this chapter, right? Mm. In other words, they were a build up until this point. Um, and you know, when, now in, in in hindsight, when I look back at it, uh, I would tell you that you know the, the the business that I have here at Excel is as much evolutionary as it is revolutionary, mm. and, and the fact that. Some of the the kernels, some of the key seminal observations came directly out of my experiences um, in in previous business. Right. So right. I'll give you one example. If you if you think about this business, um, you know, I I had I had really been trying to um, to scratch an itch, if you wouldn't. And and the reason I say that is, in my previous businesses, what I had witnessed was that. Um, regardless of the brand and regardless of the industry, I was building large sales teams, mm. about, you know, anything from a hundred to 1500 people that would be working on behalf of large, successful brands that I had engaged with. Um, and, you know, in the course of doing that, um, I had basically witnessed that inside of those sales teams, there was a power law in performance. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is top performing salespeople were almost always a multiple better than their peer group. So, mm-hmm. you know, think about, um, you know, think about the top five or 10, 20% of your workforce generating 80% of the results. Right. And, you know, when I was dealing with a 28,000 person team, you could imagine I, I became pretty maniacally focused on the notion of, of figuring out what those people were doing that allowed them to uh, to have such disproportionate contribution. 
The, so, so the foundation really was, uh, as you said, an evolution as well as a revolution. It, 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 tell us a little bit about Excel, who you sell to, you know, who is kind of the target folks, the target customer that you interact with, and, uh, you know, a little bit about how the company evolved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, if you, if you just take that, that uh, brief background that I gave you around, you know, trying to understand what top performers are doing in Amazon. Mm. That was the evolutionary piece. I think the revolutionary piece in that context, Brent, was that, you know, machine learning and, and artificial intelligence were really starting to emerge. And um, at the time, my sister was a trustee at the University of Chicago and, and still is. But there was a. Is this the same sister that had been the mentor to you? Yes, that's uh -huh. right. Okay. Yeah. And so she was, you know, she was, you know, kind of. Um, heavily engaged. And I, and I started to talk with this, with my partner and co-founder, Mark Storr. But Mark, Mark was one of these disproportionate contributors. But and instead of sales, it was in the area of, of kind of technology and data science. Hmm. And, you know, Mark and I started to talk about this notion of building a machine learning platform for dialogue that could essentially learn what your very best people do and then make that available to everybody else so that they oh. can produce um, so that they can produce better outcomes and, and better results. And so that that kind of initial kernel or that evolutionary piece was just the understanding that there exists a uh, a challenge in business around how to replicate and 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 deliver great experiences across a, across a very large workforce. I think the revolutionary piece was the fact that the technology was emerging that would allow us to cure, cure that scenario and, and really amplify business outcomes by learning what the best people are doing and making it available to everybody else. Hmm. So does your product or service go in and then analyze an existing company sales operation and come up on come up with recommendations based on that? Or do you have an outside modeling AI or machine learning that's bringing that into an organization to influence change? No, I, you know, it, it, I think for, from our perspective, what we built is a SaaS platform that okay. when I think about it, first and foremost, what it does is it listens to the enterprise. Mm. Um, and, and really what it's learning are what are the actions, the tactics, the strategies, even the tacit knowledge that top performers are using that allows them to be so uh, successful. And, and I want to give you just one example, Brent, that will help bring it to life. But yeah. let's say as an example, I were trying to sell you two mobile phones um, and, and that the, the important criteria on your decision to purchase was really wrapped around the camera on the mobile phones. Hmm. You might ask me, hey, what's the difference between the camera on, on phone A versus phone B? And a factually accurate answer would be to say, hey, that one there is 24 megapixels. Yeah. And this one here is 66 megapixels. And you might be no more confident or comfortable about that purchase with that information than you were prior to. But what the very best salesperson might have said was, the difference between that one is 24 megapixels and, the and this one is 66 megapixels, which is the difference between seeing your daughter's silhouette on the soccer field or being able to see her face up close in a picture. Mm, yeah. And yeah, you can see just how that, that tacit knowledge is so influential in, in making that determination, right? Right, right. Uh, so 
I had I had a, a chance to kind of really be in an interesting spot where I was seeing all of that firsthand and knowing just how important and and to be honest, how causal it was to the outcome. Yeah. Right. So I, the first thing the machine does is it listens to learn what those are, hmm. organizes that information so that we know where, when, and how each bit of information can be used. And then what my partner Mark and I patented uh, is what we called the cobot. But just imagine the cobot being, um, and, and I'm sure Brent, you've had at some point in your life a really great coach that was very influential, and, and hmm. at least most people that I talk to have always had one of those great coaches that have been influential in their life. That's what the cobot is doing in the context of work, which is corrective behavior, right? Yeah. It's sitting yeah. there and it's helping provide the guardrails and give them direction yeah. on how to perform really well, real time. Mm. So, you know, that's, I think, you know, when I look at what's led to the success with the fortune 50 and, 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 and further on, I think it's that notion that at the core of our solution is a real, business challenge. And we weren't just a hammer looking for a nail with mm. AI. We we really started with what is the business challenge that exists that almost any C-suite executive, when you sat down and talked to him about it, would say, you know what? I could tell you who my best salespeople were. And yes, I've spent many nights trying to think about how I could get everyone to act or behave or perform just like that person. And so for me, I think what was important was just starting with the with a really important business problem and then having the right tools to address that problem. Yeah. Awesome. How many employees today? Yeah. Yeah. We're approaching 150 employees. Wow. So the, the company's growing pretty, uh, pretty quickly here. And, and uh, Robust. yeah, yeah it's, awesome. it's exciting because I feel like. You know, my baby's no longer crawling. It's up, running, walking, you know. <laughs> well talking. into infancy, if not beyond. <laughs> That's uh, right. Full sentences. It's, uh, it's doing it all. And are you selling exclusively the Fortune 50? Do you sell the middle market as well? Startups? Where, where does the technology best apply? We are. I mean, it runs the whole gamut. So yeah. we, we are, you know, we have, uh, you know, two of the top, or two of the, the two largest healthcare systems in the country. Mm. Uh, we have um, healthcare providers in the country. We have uh, two of the largest telcos in the world. We have a variety of different um, clients. But I will tell you what I'm seeing is, you know, especially in this context where, um, you know, it, you, we're seeing this notion of the pandemic creating a disruption where right. uh, where companies can't have that. What, what I would call that normal physical interaction in the store or in the office with their customer. Right. And so they're trying to find ways to bridge that gap where they can still avail that level of expertise, that level of engagement and intimacy with the customer, but do it in different ways. And yeah. so um, the way that the way that our technology is working today is retailers are using it to create a way to avail experts on their website. Um, you know, large, uh, large healthcare payers are, are using it a way as a way to help uh, a person making a Medicare Advantage determination, um, make sure that we that we resolve and answer any of their questions. And so it's really at that tip of the sword where there's this level of personalization and intimacy and understanding that consumer mm. so that they feel confident and comfortable making the purchase, even though they might not be able to physically go into a store or physically go into an office. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. 
Well, let's shift a little bit to leadership. And, uh, you know, you obviously worked in a couple of great companies. You learned the trade. You learned how to manage people. And then, you know, kind of starting all over again with a founder, a co-founder, it sounds like, Mark, and, and others that you, you know, brought in to grow that organization, over 125 folks now. How would you say your leadership style has evolved over time? You know, I would tell you it continues to evolve every day. <laughs> it's and, you know, it, I, I feel like, you know, I love the notion of learning. And I'll give you a great example. I added um, I added Sean Mobley to my executive team. And, and just by way of background, Sean was formerly the chief growth officer at United Healthcare. And, um, you know, I, I find myself on a daily basis going, wow, that's a that's a really brilliant approach or a different way of, of doing things that. I might not have thought of, but right. um, is really valuable. And so for me, I kind of view this brand in in, um, in the context of what I'm going to call lifelong learning. I, I enjoy the idea of picking up additional tips and tricks. And I, I almost feel that I never want to be at that stage in my career where I feel like I know the answers. That seems very uninspiring to me. It mm. Seems, mm. seems very close-ended and and, um, and it seems like somewhere I don't want to be. I love the notion of, of kind of approaching it like, what's the additional thing I can put in my, um, you know, in my kit bag that, that's going to let me uh, be even more successful in the future? And so when you describe, you know, when you ask that question about my, you know, kind of my, learn, uh, my um, leadership style, I think um, certainly at the core of it, is a is a desire to build a results oriented culture where mm. where we're pretty passionate about the work that we do, um, but I feel like it's always um, it's always changing on how we arrive at that outcome. And what I mean by that is we're finding new and different ways to. And certainly the pandemic has created the context where you have to find new and different ways to achieve those outcomes. So for me, that leadership style. Um, it's it's you know years and years of of development, but changing and improving every day. Hopefully, well, it kind of started with getting outside that car and selling the candy in that neighborhood ahead of everyone else, didn't it? <laughs> you know, when you, when you say it that way, I think you're spot on. Right? It, it is. It is very a, disruptive, uh, Matt. Very I, you disruptive. know, I go back. I go back to those uh, over overpriced candy bars where where the whole thing started. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about company culture. Um, you know, as the CEO and founder, you are the company culture. You set the stage for that. Uh, tell us a couple of things. Number one, you know, what's kind of unique or different about Excel Technologies from a company standpoint? And, and what do you do to kind of keep the culture fresh? And, you know, how do you kind of impact that with your organization as it grows? Yeah, I mean, it, l listen, I, I think the first thing that I do is that um, that I help each person who joins our organization understand that um, we are all right now trying to write the best chapter of our career. So mm. just think about that, how powerful that notion is, Brent, when you when you take a step back. Imagine that every person is in, you know, is, is kind of taking inventory of where they're at and they're trying to write the best chapter of their career at the same time. Right. And I think that's a powerful one. But yeah. if I even go a little bit further on that, then what we really arrive at is the notion that, you know, culture is not something that that we somehow deliver to you as a as a member of the team. Culture is a is a uh, is a living, breathing thing that you are an active participant in helping to create. 
And it's been, so true. it's always been my experience that people, um, people support those things, which they help to create. Right? right. So I think for me, um, the, the one thing about the culture is this notion of empowerment for people to be helping define that. And I'll give you, I'll give you just one example. You know, we had um, a group of really talented young um, female executives on our team or female um, team members come and say, hey, we want to organize around um, a couple of priorities for the team and we want to have these types of meetings. And, you know, to me, just the, the, the initiative and the, and the feeling of empowerment to go do those things mm. are critically important for the business. And, and I'm uh, in almost every instance very supportive of that because that's just one example of, uh, you know, helping to create it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you're, you're growing in size and obviously growing in people. Well, Matt, what do you personally look for when you're, you know, making bets on the people you invest in and hire? Yeah. I mean, you know, so, so there's a few things, I mean, that, that I think are critically important. The first is that you find people that, um, that have a, a desire, you know, and, and, and I say that, um, because it's important that, that, you have to have that person at that point in their career where they are trying to um, they're, they're at that point where they have the aptitude, the acumen, but the desire to mm. go out and write the best chapter of their career. Yeah. yeah. So th this, you know, we, we talk about this all the time, Brent. I know it may seem corny to someone outside of the company or it may seem cliche, but um, when I think about that, I'm looking for people who have, um, great, you know, skill set, domain experience, but most importantly, they have this burning sense of urgency to be doing the best work yeah. of their career right now. Yeah. And the, a passion, and, isn't it? Yeah, that passion. And, you know, you say, okay, well, how do you understand that? I think for me, it's really about having frank and honest conversations with people as part of that hiring process where you really do drill down into, you know, this notion of, of, and, and, you know, Brent, I'm a bit of a realist. I mean, when I think about it, there are probably points in people's lives where there are competing, um, you know, there are competing efforts. You could be, as an example, um, taking care of a uh, taking care of a parent or or something. And I understand that that has to be a priority for you. And, and I'm aligned. I think it's important that people find the right fit for them given where they're at in their life and what's going on with them, that they find that place where the fit is really strong. And so that's where I just, for me, I always try and spend more time making sure upfront that the fit is there because I think that that avoids, um, that avoids an awful lot more work on the back end sure. trying to correct for issues with fit. Are there specific questions that you use in the interview process where you can get at that, Matt? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the first thing is, we always try and talk about very specific um, examples where they might have worked on a team where uh, where the objective was uh, was very difficult and, and some examples of things that they did to achieve the outcome. But on the flip side of that same coin, we talk about where they might not have been successful. And in hindsight now, and I, I view this as part of our desire to be a learning organization, what did you learn as part of that process where um, the result might not have been what you wanted it to be. Hmm. What did you take away from it? Then as I think about that, I, I start to translate those experiences. And I say, if you think about today, can you articulate 
what the most important aspects of your next role and in your next company, mm. your next engagement are. So if you just ask someone to kind of say what's most important to them, and what I'm looking for in that one is answers that might not be entirely obvious. So yeah. the ability for, you know, you'll have someone say, the ability when I work really hard to be identified and recognized, the ability for my contribution not to be stifled or, or the ability for me to uh, move through the organization based on merit and performance. And, and so you're looking for these, what I'll call um, somewhat veiled um, answers, but what they represent is the desire for that person to be writing their best chapter right now. Mm. It might need direction, but certainly you're looking for someone who's, who's talking about what, what they can be accountable for, or what they can be, um, you know, what they can go do and, and, and will the organization support them in their ability to do that? Yeah. And what demonstrates a sense of vision too, doesn't it? They, they've got a plan. They've got a course. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Matt, time has just flown by, but we do have a couple last questions I want to cover with you before I let you go. You know, there's obviously a lot of speculation about what a a post-pandemic world looks like, <laughs> if we ever enter that, right? It feels like forever, as you said, dog years. But with a vaccine around the corner and probably ongoing vaccines we'll need to take as this thing, uh, you know, uh, runs its course, you know, what, what changes do you see ahead? What changes do you see ahead for your company and and kind of the world in general? Do you, do you think this is going to be a, a, you know, a, a kind of a, a big social change where we'll just do a lot more distancing and a lot more stuff more remote, remotely? Uh, do you think that it's going to impact, you know, business in such a way, you know, what, what's your crystal ball say looking forward? Yeah. I, I mean, to be honest with you, Brent, the short answer is I don't know, but here's what I would tell you. My awesome. hope is that we get back to, um, th those human interactions that are meaningful to people and, and that I miss them, Matt. I think you do too, right. As a salesperson. <laughs> That's right. It's exactly it's right. You know, those yeah. li life is truly about relationships and, and, um, and those things that are, are probably on the now, what I will tell you is I think what we as uh, you know, if we take a step back and we look at this, I think one thing that we can be very proud of uh, in industry is the resilience that we've created. Right? Mm. And think about what, are, what is one attribute that I in hindsight now know is a requirement to be successful in um, in entrepreneurship. It's resilience. It's persistence. It's it's that notion of knowing that you're going to achieve the goal um, and then just putting your, your, your head down and making it happen. And I think what the pandemic made very clear is that we are a resilient group and we are going to be persistent in our desire to overcome these obstacles that are presented to us. So, you know, I, I look back and I think in the future, people will say, wow, that, that was, that was a, 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 um, a time where, industry demonstrated persistence and resilience. Yeah, I think we'll probably also look back and say innovation, right? Yeah. Look at the things that changed. You know, we went through a <laughs> real tough time for a year and a half or so there. But, you know, the new products, the new services that have come out of it, hopefully will serve us better as we go back to a more social world. That's right. I think yeah. that's a great point, Brent. Matt, lastly, um, you know, what career and life advice would you give someone who, you know, maybe has their eyes in the corner office or, or like you, you know, maybe is mid-career and has decided, you know, I really want to do something on my own. What, what would you say to that person? Brent, it's, it's pretty simple. It comes down to four things for me. Plan, do, learn, improve. Mm. I, you know, 
I, I think so many people either don't do them in the right order, but, but set a plan for yourself mm. then execute it. Take a moment then to say what was different than what I thought. Yeah. So learn. And I, and I, this goes back to what I was talking about. Just take a moment and say, okay, what I originally had thought was, was X is now Y hmm. and inform the next plan. And I think that that flywheel, if you get it, if you get that going in your life, just plan, do learn, improve. Um, it, it's been my experience that it can be, it can be pretty compelling. What, what comes out of that cycle, if you get it going pretty quick. Hmm. Excellent counsel. Matt Coughlin, CEO and founder of Excel Technologies. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Brent, uh, glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And again, stay safe and, uh, and thanks again for having me. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.